Our text this morning comes out of the Gospel of Luke, and I'll be reading chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. So open up and listen to what the story is telling us to, and then Pastor Julie is going to come up and lead us. At that time, some Pharisees said to him, get away from here if you want to live. Herod Antipas wants to kill you. Jesus replied, go tell that fox I will keep on casting out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and the third day I will accomplish my purpose, as you would respond normally. Yes, today, tomorrow, and the next day I must proceed on my way, for it wouldn't do uh, for a prophet of God to be killed except in Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers, how often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. And now, look, your house is abandoned, and you will never see me again until you say, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Well, as you heard from Pastor Elise, we're talking about simplicity, and I wanted to read this one little part from the book that really struck me. Simplicity is freedom. Duplicity is bondage. Simplicity brings joy and balance. Duplicity brings anxiety and fear. The preacher of Ecclesiastes observes that God made man simple. Man's complex problems are of his own devising. I have been thinking a lot about that because it feels like my life is very complicated right now, and I bet you feel the same way. We began a few weeks ago with prayer, we moved to study last week, and now simplicity. Thinking about how complicated I feel like my life has become, just like all of you, I went and got my mail yesterday, and there were two returned envelopes. One of them I had addressed without putting the P.O. Box number, just said P.O. Box, returned back. One had no postage on it, and I sat and thought, what is wrong with me? My life clearly is complicated, but as Ecclesiastes said, I'm the one to blame. So this simplicity I have really latched onto and am really going to focus on this week because I feel like God has a lot to teach me about that. Well, you must be wondering, what does simplicity, how does it connect to our verses today with Jesus going to Jerusalem? I wondered the same thing at the beginning of the week, and then I prayed, and the light bulb came on from the Holy Spirit. Jesus, he lived out the definition of simplicity by staying true to his mission. Nothing deterred him. He was not disoriented by his surroundings. The opposite of simplicity, I think, is complicated. He didn't get caught up in the complications of life. His orientation or position was set on what was eternal. And staying on the path to Jerusalem was the way he was going to complete his mission and purpose. Now, Jesus stated his mission back in chapter 4, and Pastor John gave a wonderful sermon about that. Verses 18 through 19, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, 
that the blind will see, that oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. That was Jesus' mission statement. It revealed his identity and his purpose as the Christ. Again, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that sermon that Pastor John gave because it really uh, fleshed that out really great and uh, cleared up a lot of things for me. But I just wanted for us to be reminded of what that mission is and that Jesus' life, it was simple. It wasn't easy, but it was simple because he knew who he was and who he should spend time with. Having that mission statement gave him the framework for knowing what to say yes to and what to say no to. And I don't know about you, but I have a lot of difficulties with that. Now Luke, in chapter 9 earlier, introduced Jesus' journey to Jerusalem with these words. It came to pass, when the days were near that he would be taken up, he intently set his face to Jerusalem. And this journey would continue until chapter 19, where Jesus will ride into town being praised as the king and then crucified at the end of the week as king of the Jews. Well, let's get into our text today, verses 31 through 33, start with, at that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said that Herod was planning to kill him so he should leave. Now, Herod... The, the Herod referred to here is the one that had John the Baptist beheaded at his daughter's request. And it was his father who ordered all the baby boys under the age of two to be killed to make sure that Jesus, the newborn king, would be eliminated. Does that make your crazy family sound kind of normal? Made me feel better. Well, there are several thoughts on why the Pharisees would warn Jesus about Herod. Were they trying to scare him? Were they trying to drive him out into Judea where they might have more control over him? Or were they genuinely warning him about Herod? Now, we tend to think of Pharisees and automatically assume that they were all opposing Jesus, but that's actually not true. They did have issues with his orthodoxy, just like you and I do. However, Luke tells us that there were Pharisees among the early believers in Acts chapter 5. And we know that Joseph of Arimathea, he was on the council. So there were other uh, leaders who were not opposing Jesus. And we don't know for sure what their intent was, though, but it's a good reminder to us as we tend to categorize people by their education, their profession, their political affiliation, and even the denomination that they belong to. It just shows you can't lump everybody together in the same category. We make assumptions that are unfair. Well, Jesus' response, of course, it's very simple. Go and tell that fox, I will keep doing what I came to do until I reach my goal on the third day, meaning his resurrection. That's my mission, that's my plan, and no person is going to stop me. That's my paraphrase. Well, the meaning of fox here might not be what you think it is. We think of a fox as a sly, smart creature. But when Jesus called Herod a fox, it was to insult him, 
not to refer to how smart he was. I got to tell you, I spent way too much time on this word study this week because it really intrigued me. So I'm just going to bring it down for you right here, Reader's Digest version. There are a few interpretations. First of all, a fox was an unclean animal in the Israelite holiness code. So he's unclean. Another is that Jesus was calling Herod, now get this, an effeminate wild dog that feasts on dead corpses. That's an insult, I would say. Certainly the opposite of who Jesus was. The point was, he was saying, Herod is not to be feared. Well, Jesus was going to go right on with his mission. He was not going to let outside forces take him off course from that road to Jerusalem. He knew that he would die in Jerusalem, just as all the other prophets had, but not even that distracted him. I don't know about you, but I easily am distracted from following Jesus by earthly desires and especially fears. You know, when I take my eyes off Jesus, my life gets really complicated. When I forget my mission and my purpose, that's when the complexities, I allow them to come in and get me off track. My life would be so much simpler if I would stop trying to multitask. I'm really good at it, like most of you, doing the laundry, cooking dinner, answering emails, and a few other things all at the same time. The problem is I'm not doing any of them well, and I wonder why I get irritated by the end of the day. Jesus was not a multitasker. He was single-minded, and he kept on his mission. Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 2, talks about the great cloud of witnesses who knew their purpose and embraced the mission of living a life that pointed others to Jesus. We got that, those verses up? Let's read this together. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run the... Oh, sorry. Let us... <laughs> Back up, back up. I messed up. We're going to start again. Sorry, Ron. Okay. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Someone who was focused like a laser on all things eternal was our dear brother Ray. I miss seeing him sitting over there, and I'm sure you do too. If anyone ran the race with perseverance, it was Ray. There are so many stories about him to inspire us all to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith and his faith. Ray did not have an easy life, but his mission was a very simple one. Point people to Jesus. And he saw every encounter he had every day as a divine appointment. Knowing his mission made his choices simple. 
the possessions he had, the places he went, and the work he did all came out of a life of simplicity, knowing what mattered in the end, and we are all better for it. In verses 34 and 35, Jesus, knowing his own difficult destiny, laments over the city and the people of Jerusalem. He willingly sets his face toward the very place where he will be betrayed, rejected, and face death on a cross. He's not thinking about himself, but he's thinking about the welfare of those who will put him to death. There's an irony here, as Jerusalem was the site of a temple of worship, a holy city, and yet where the prophets, Jesus being one of them, was killed, a very unholy act. How can it be both? I have to admit, I can be both. I can worship Jesus when he is who I want him to be, and I can turn on him when he doesn't meet my expectations. What about you? Are you disoriented because Jesus is not answering a prayer like you think he should? Have you ever said, if Jesus really, really loved me, he would not let me go through this situation? I'm not judging. I want you to know that you're in good company with me if you have made that statement. Well, instead of being angry, Jesus is full of sorrow for Jerusalem. He knows the pain that will come from rejecting him. And I love this imagery as he, he uses here when he says, how I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you are not willing. He purposely uses this imagery of a mother, not a father, to convey nurture and protection. It's not because fathers are not caring, but it's because God has the characteristics of both male and female, mothers and fathers. I know as a mother, I had a different way of caring for my boys. I wanted to protect them from the difficulties, whereas Barry wanted to let them live out the consequences of those difficulties. Both are needed, which is why God is our perfect parent. And in Psalm 61.4, it says, I long to dwell in your tent forever and take refuge in the shelter of your wings. Jesus longs to give his protective care, but the tragedy is that Jerusalem was not willing to accept it. And later on, when Jesus enters that city on Palm Sunday, he weeps over it. Have you ever watched a child or a family member or a friend make a choice that you knew was not going to go well. It could be a habit, it could be an unhealthy relationship, or a destructive situation. I had a friend whose husband physically abused her, and she would call me and I would come and get her, and I would plead with her not to go back. But she did not listen to me. I wanted to protect her from what I knew was going to happen, but she refused that protection, 
And I knew every time she returned, the same thing was going to happen. So I can understand on some level the grief that Jesus felt for Jerusalem. He wanted the best for his people, but his people didn't want what he offered. And isn't that still true today? We want to point to the world that they are rejecting Jesus, but we need to look at ourselves. We want Jesus, but we also want our lists of desires and wants at the same time. Things that we think will bring us happiness. Things that maybe, as Pastor John led us in the prayer, that we really need to lay down. Things that have no eternal value but keep us from our true purpose and mission. Jesus grieves for you and me as we want control of our lives and don't believe that he knows better. So I have a few questions for us to ponder. What foxes, which are fears and distractions, are keeping you from living out your purpose and mission? Something that's taking you off the path, taking your eyes off of Jerusalem. Sometimes it's fear of the unknown, but sometimes it's fear of the known. Jesus was not deterred by what people thought of him. He was certainly not a people pleaser, was he? And he was not deterred by the thought that his mission was just too hard. Whatever your foxes are, name them for what they are, enemies of your purpose and mission. They are not more powerful than the power of the Holy Spirit that resides in you. Greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. And what or where is your Jerusalem? Is God calling you to something that seems just too difficult to endure? Jesus persevered to the cross so that we could too. Maybe it's a call to simplicity or another practice for the purpose of moving you from disorientation to orientation. If we're oriented in the right direction, no outside forces can change our ability to stay on mission. We talk a lot about mission in the church too, don't we? And this pandemic has given us the opportunity to evaluate what our mission really is. When all the programs and events are taken away, who are we? Why do we exist? What is our identity and what is our mission? And is church still relevant? As we continue on our Lenten journey together, may we individually and collectively keep our eyes set on Jerusalem and leave behind that which so easily entangles so that we can live out our mission of Jesus together. The journey to Jerusalem is the story of God, and it's our story too.